Blog Talk Radio. Glamour Fearless, Diva Talk Radio. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my parade. Don't tell me not to fly. I simply got to. If someone takes a spill, it's me and not you. Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade? I guess I didn't make it good Whether I'm the rose of sheer perfection Or freckle on the nose of light complexion The cinder or the shiny apple of its time I gotta fly once, I gotta try once Only can die once, right sir Ooh, life is juicy, juicy and juicy I gotta have my bite, sir Get ready for me, love Simply gotta march my heart for drama Don't bring around a cloud of rain on my parade I'm gonna live and live now Get what I want, I know how One roll for the whole shebang I am. Hello, divas and dudes. Are you ready? Because I'm ready to welcome you to the Mr. Divabetic Show in celebration of National Diabetes Awareness Month. And we're going diva all night long, so, so thank you for listening. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and that was my co-host, Miss Barbara Streisand. I'm going to be playing cuts from her greatest hits as well as her newest album, Partners, all show long, just to inspire you to don't get down, get diva about living with your diabetes. My, de- my guests tonight include Terry Seidman, Connie Frazier, Lori Benznar, Love Reese Wood, Mama Rosemary, Lorraine Starsky, and Jamie Strange Geo from MD Capsule. All month long, we've been stressing the importance of why a team approach is important to managing your diabetes, and having partners is a smart and sexy way to stay healthy. That's right, I said sexy. Hey, glam more, fear less, because let's face it, the right stylist, hairdresser, and makeup artist will not only make you look good, they'll also make you feel good, which I think is extremely helpful during those times when you're dealing with the ups and downs of your blood sugars with daily self-care management. So don't let diabetes rain on your parade and create your own healthcare entourage like Barbara Streisand. She's one of the most enduring entertainers of all time. She's won a Tony, an Oscar, a Grammy, and an Emmy. For me, Barbara Streisand represents the best qualities of a diva. She's strong, confident, talented, and passionate. Let's face it, she's all about showbiz, and no one loves showbiz more than I do. That's why tonight I'm celebrating the recent success of our Diabetes History-themed stage show presented at the ADA Expo in Pittsburgh on Saturday, November 8th. This was arguably probably our biggest stage presentation ever and one of the most rewarding for me. It was certainly a challenge and uh, an exciting one for me to bring to life the history of diabetes because I feel that so many people with diabetes today don't really understand the long history that diabetes has, and a lot of people don't understand a lot about diabetes, so it was really important to showcase the amazing innovators, wonderful innovations, and inspirations available for you today, and working side-by-side with some incredible healthcare um, educators and professionals in the Pittsburgh community. Later on, you're going to want to stick around because I'm spotlighting a great new innovation in self-care called MD Capsule, and we're going to be talking to Jamie Strange Geo. I'm going to get that name wrong all night, people, but that's okay because you can Google MD Capsule and find out more about it, about a great new easy way to help you become a healthcare advocate. And uh, you're going to want to stick around from that. Plus, I'm going to encourage you right now to show your support for our dazzling brand of outreach by no- donating today to divabetic.org. Your tax-deductible contributions are greatly appreciated. 
sit back, relax, and get ready to laugh a little, learn a lot, because you're listening to the Mr. Divabetic Show. Only way to make a work of art Every moment makes a contribution Every little detail plays a part Having just a vision's no solution Everything depends on execution Putting it together Good grief. I don't think I could get through that tonight. It's all tongue twisters for me, but I appreciate Barbara Streisand's artistry when it comes to going Broadway. I certainly went Broadway with my Pittsburgh ADA Dibes Time Time Machine show, and I want to welcome one of my partners in that amazing outreach experience. Let's welcome uh, the assistant director at the ADA in Pittsburgh, Terry Seidman. Hi, Terry. Hey, Max. How are you? I'm great. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me again. Well, you know, we had such a great time at the ADA Pittsburgh uh, Expo in Pittsburgh. It's our eighth year presenting with you and, and taking on a whole area of the floor of the Expo with our Divapedic Pavilion. And this year we had the opportunity to bring in not only some great healthcare professionals in the local market, but we also, you also reached out to the New York Historical Society and got us an amazing exhibit. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Yeah, the New York Historical Society a few years back had uh, the breakthrough, which is the discovery of insulin, the traveling exhibition. And they had it uh, in, the, in the society for a couple months, and then it became a traveling exhibit. And it really chronicles the discovery of insulin, uh, what, it was bef- what it was like living with diabetes or dying with diabetes before the discovery of insulin up through the, t- the discovery of insulin. And uh, they accommodate this exhibit with a silent reel that shows the production of insulin in the 19 th- early 1930s in the Eli Lilly laboratories. So it's quite uh, quite an exhibit, and it certainly is very informative. Well, you know, I was on um, Facebook and Twitter with my Divabetic followers uh, just asking questions, and I found out a lot of people didn't even know how old the discovery of insulin is and actually who was responsible for it. So tell everyone a little bit about that. Well, insulin was discovered in 1922, uh, and it was discovered in uh, in Toronto by uh, Best and Banting, who were scientists working with uh, animals and, re- and really with dogs trying to create insulin uh, uh, in the pancreas with, with dogs. And, um, and that's how it came about in a very simplistic way. Right, and I mean, it's hard to believe it's not even 100 years old, and it really changed people's lives. I know the most compelling part, or one of the most compelling parts of that exhibit from the New York Historical Society were the letters from the children in the mid-1920s who, um, up until that point, were put on starvation diets to kind of manage their diabetes, which was not a successful treatment, we should say that. Mm-mm. And so uh, we we saw these letters from children who were writing Banting and Best and thanking them because they got their lives back. And one little boy wrote a letter. Do you remember what it said? Yeah, he had he had talked about he was so happy that he was able to climb a tree and now I am fat because he was a skeleton before the discovery of insulin and um and he literally was skin and bones um and with with the use of insulin you know the the body being able to process uh uh food and breaking it down into sugar and storing it and all that type of thing he was able to put on weight and he was able to climb a tree so it was really a very moving and you see it in his handwriting uh to see something like that and it really goes back 80 some years when there when insulin was first discovered well and the other part that was so compelling is then we we bookmark that by bringing on stage several children living with type 1 diabetes from the Pittsburgh area and we were celebrating how well they were living with diabetes. So now tell everyone a little bit about that, because that was an exciting kind of way to reference the children from the 20s to go forward to what's happening today and um, actually, you know, standing up and, and applauding them and rewarding them for for taking charge of their health. Yeah, uh, 
Lily has a program that's called the Lily Diabetes Journey Awards, recognizing people who have been living uh, with uh, diabetes for 10 years, uh, 25, 50 years. And we had reached out to um, our, our past campers, uh, families uh, who have children with diabetes and attended camp, who wanted to receive these awards and who wanted to be recognized on the stage. So that's what that program was all about, and it really was, you know, uh, Max talked to the kids about what it was like, what they felt when they were newly diagnosed, and what they felt now living with diabetes for this long of a period of time. And, you know, truly the, the, the wonderfulness and the miracle of insulin really bring, drives home the point as what life or death was before discovery of insulin because all these children are on insulin and the um, quality of life is incredibly good in comparison to what it was years ago. So uh, Max was able to show the the distinction between, you know, what it was like, you know, 80-some years ago and where we are today. And in this diabetes time machine with 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 the discovery of insulin and how well we can see kids today who are, who are living with diabetes, how well they're doing. Well, and I really wanted to do this show because I wanted to shatter some of those myths and misconceptions like you just mentioned about the idea that you can't live well with diabetes and you can't avoid a complication. And, and really having those children on stage, you know, uh, one girl I think was 11 years old, so she had been living with diabetes since the age of one. She's, you know, using multiple devices mm-hmm. now to help her manage her care, which we'll be talking about later on in the show. But, you know, the idea that you could be that happy and healthy, I don't think it was even uh, – I, I think people would be – if we went back 100 years, would just be out of their minds not even understanding what was going mm-hmm. on. So it's incredible. The other thing about it, though, I have to say is, like, there's still – Um, I feel so much focus on the cure, the cure, the cure, that no one really steps back and just takes a minute to look at how far we've gone with care. And I know when I first approached you about this idea last November, right after our last show, um, you know, you mentioned to me how you have a family history of diabetes and how your father, your sister, and yourself are all living with type 1 diabetes and how different the care has been through your family history regarding diabetes. So just uh, tell the audience a little bit about this. When your, your dad, How long has your dad been living with diabetes? Well, my dad, my dad died when he was 73, um, but he was diagnosed with uh, diabetes when he was 13 in 1937. So insulin had truly been discovered 15 years before. And he would tell the stories about remembering or, and seeing his mother, first of all, weighing everything, and second of all, um, you know, tasting his urine to see what the sugar content, I'm not, I'm not joking, to see what the sugar content was in his urine. And my dad never thought that he would live beyond the, the age of 30. And uh, truly, you know, the insulin saved his life. And my dad, you know, was very active, uh, was, you know, played played baseball, was a coach, was very physically active and really in good shape. And it's pretty amazing that even though he was diagnosed so early in the discovery of insulin, I think that it shows how the testimony to the insulin discovery was for people who really did live into their 70s and 80s, who were who grew up in the 1930s. That's pretty incredible, you know. He, I remember watching him. You know, he would sharpen his uh, his needle and use the same needle over and over and over again. I can't even imagine because when I was diagnosed, the the disposable needles had just come out, and we, my sister and I, were you know were given those as opposed to using the same needle syringe over and over and over again. Uh, so, yeah, I've I really seen the development of technology that has really improved the quality of our lives. And what's one of the innovations that you ha- that you would um, admit has been, you know, so beneficial to you in your lifetime living with diabetes? Well, I think that the pump, the insulin pump certainly has made the quality of life so much better. And uh, along with the hemoglobin A1C, you know, I think for the for – the, mm, professionals who are health care professionals uh, helping us to manage our diabetes, 
um, really can see how we've done for the last three months and what our lives looked like in that in that type of blood test that didn't exist before. You know, you you would get a blood test in the morning, and you could either take a whole lot of insulin to bring down the blood sugar, or not eat the night before, or not eat the morning of, or whatever to really give a false reading as to how good your how how well you were doing with your blood sugars. You can't do that any longer. The right. hemoglobin A1C is a reading for the last three months, and I think it's really telling as to the you know where your life has been over the last three months for the healthcare professionals that can interpret it and, and bring it home to you as to what what we need to do maybe better or keep going at going at that same level. And of course, you know, our wish was for more people to take advantage of these things, these innovations that are here right now today, and use them to really stay happy and healthy. Well, stick around, Terry, because I want to ask you at the end of the show, what's one of the things you're looking most forward to in the coming years since we've seen so many innovations? But thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Max. People who need people. Funny. Do you ever wonder how many people Barbara needs every day to help her? I'm just kind of curious in my own twisted mind. Like Barbara Streisand, does she even open her own door? Probably not, but I do, and I'm Mr. Divabetic, and you're listening to The Divabetic Show. My next guest helps me all day long at the ADA Expo. She's my assistant, but more importantly, she's a wonderful Divabetic. Please welcome to the show, Love Reese Wood. Hi, Love. Hi, Max. How are you? better now. Thank you very much. I'd like a glass of water and I'd like some fresh towels and those flowers were not in the dressing room as I requested. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. All right, so Reese, you've been working on the show with us now for several years at the ADA Expo. I I really uh, enjoyed the show this year, but we haven't really given it a full, we haven't really described it to our audience. So tell everyone listening uh, in the world of radio, what what did it look like this year, the Diabetes Time Machine at the ADA Expo? Well, the the time machine was was interesting because it kind of you know put your mind into going back to what things were like before. So it it kind of opened your eyes to a, a few things. When you and thought. what was one of the things that we opened your eyes to? Like what from diabetes history were you kind of surprised by? Well, I've been I've been dealing myself with diabetes uh, for about ten years now, and but my son was a di- has been a diabetic for uh, I believe six coming up on sixteen years. I think what what got me was uh, just the the day to day care, and you know how much things have advanced and how much easier things are now than they were in the past as a caregiver. Well, I know a lot of mothers listen to this show, so you know a lot of there are a lot of mothers listening who have children with type one diabetes. What would you tell them? You know, who might be dealing, someone who might be dealing with a newly diagnosed child with type one diabetes? Find yourself a good support system through your family. Find a diabetes support group, friends, anybody that can support you in caring for your child. I can't tell you how valuable those people are. And how did you it negotiate or navigate the whole thing with the school system and a child living with diabetes? I'm curious. Well, I I kind of took it probably a little farther than most. Um, I I always said that I was the advocate for my child, and I went in and I said, here's how things need to be. We need to figure out a way to get those things, you know, get get those those goals accomplished. And so I would go in, and I would take in every year, I would go in and meet with the teachers, and I would take in a folder full of all kinds of information for for the teachers, and I would take in one in for each teacher. Um, I used to joke that, that they would see me coming and they would run, because I just had, at the beginning of the year, it was, 
you know, it was something I I felt I needed to do was to educate the teachers. Okay, now let's just turn the tables. How do you advocate for your own care today? Well, I again, I surround myself I surround myself with people who will uh help me and encourage me. I surround myself with people who who would care that my health would be good. You know, that want me to succeed with this. You know, in in taking care of myself. Um I I just it's it's a support thing and as many people that can help me keep me focused is what I look for. Okay, give a quick shout-out. Who's someone from your team that you want to recognize tonight? Uh, it would be my husband and, and my son. My son is is amazing. And when I started this journey myself, he really came through for me in, in telling me that I could do this and, and supporting me and keeping keeping my head above the water, so to speak. I love it. Well, you help me keep my head above the water all day long at the ADA Expo. It's always a thrill to have you beside us working with myself and Arthur Espino and the rest of the team. So thanks for being a part of the show, and thank you for helping us celebrate our experience this year and all and so many years. You've been a part of the Divabetic Pavilion now how many years in Pittsburgh? I'm thinking six or seven maybe. Wow. Well, this next song by Barbara is for you. She teamed up with Michael Buble, and here we go. Let's take a listen. Funny girl to me. Season to season, we'll always have a reason. You mean to be the best of friends that we can be. Good grief, my Twitter is going to blow up with Michael Bubay fans. I know that's Blake Shelton. I'm sorry, I pressed the wrong button. I got too excited, and Blake said he'd give me $10 for promoting The Voice. I think it's still on the air, and I think uh, they're getting down to the finals. But we will play that song by Michael Bublé. Don't think I'm confused about who is who and who is not on pop radio. That's not how we roll at Divabetic People. All right, well, this woman's going to help me out because we were talking earlier about sugar and carbs, starvation diets. We need to bring in Connie Frazier from the uh, Jocelyn Center in Pittsburgh to help us clarify things. She's a certified diabetes educator as well as a registered dietitian. Please welcome Connie to the show. Hi, Connie. Hello, Max. So nice to be with you tonight. You're featured right now on the landing page of Divabetic. Uh, you're in a video. We were talking about um, the turn of the century and the, and the starvation diet. But I want to kind of jump with you in the time machine and go right to the 1950s when food really began to change in America, not only the way we prepare it, but also the way we serve it. My goodness, in the 1950s, things certainly changed. That's when the uh, fast food revelation, revolution began, and we viewed food and ate food in a whole different manner. Uh, that was, you know, back then, you know, prior to the 1950s, most meals were eaten at home in a family setting. And with the origin of fast food, uh, it was very easy, convenient. People could just, you know, drive up and order their to-go meal. Um, and it was quick, inexpensive, and um, very convenient. However, that over time, that really led to some challenges. As we all know, fast food... Uh, for the most part, now is not so healthy, very large portions, and uh, has really contributed to the obesity epidemic. Well, and talk to me a little bit about um, this term, like exchanges, like the glycemic index. I mean, these seem like very archaic expressions, but at one point right around this time that you're talking about, maybe into the 1960s and 70s, this really was the benchmark for how people were managing their diabetes when it came to food. Is it not? Sure. Back in the day, we had the exchange lists, and uh, they were just a way that food was categorized based on if it was a starch, a fruit, a milk, a vegetable, a protein, or a fat, and people had so many exchanges from those groups to use at a meal which I guess was helpful in some sense to provide some general, some guidelines for meal planning. Um, and over time, 
that has evolved into a more user-friendly um, way of managing meal planning called carbohydrate counting. And that could be done in a variety of fashions where a person could aim toward a, sim- a consistent amount of carbohydrate at a meal. And uh, eating that consistent amount of carbohydrate at a meal um, is the way to kick keep blood sugars in a more even range. Um, and as we know, carbohydrates come from things like starchy foods, bread, pasta, rice, starchy vegetables, fruit, milk, desserts. And, uh, you know, the portion for, uh, you know, a carbohydrate serving represents around 15 grams, which would be a slice of bread or a third cup of rice or pasta, a piece of fruit or a cup of milk. And uh, most most women aim toward about 30 to 45 grams of carb at a meal, and most men probably around 45 to 60 grams of carb at a meal. So um, there's more variety in counting carbohydrates as well as we can tie in the use of the nutrition label um, as a tool to help understand the carbohydrate content of foods and work it into the amount of carb that we're aiming for at a meal. And All right, then a well, more... a lot of people get, I'm going to cut you off for a minute, a lot of people get confused about this whole carb thing. They don't understand it, and what you're saying makes a lot of sense, that it was, it's kind of an easier way to manage it. I know when you look at that nutritional label, a lot of people are looking at sugar as well as carbohydrates. Should they look at both, or should they be focusing on one um, and not the other? Well, I think it's more helpful to look at the total carbohydrate on that label as opposed to sugar. The total carbohydrate represents all of the carbohydrate in that food, including sugar. But in addition to looking at total carbohydrate, it's also helpful to look at the fiber. And you mentioned, Max, about the glycemic index. Mm -hmm. So the glycemic index is just a way of categorizing food to let us know um, its impact on blood sugar. So typically a general rule of thumb is the, the higher the fiber of the food, the lower the glycemic index, and that's a positive thing. So aiming toward whole grain breads, um, brown rice, uh, whole grain cereals, fresh fruit, all are higher in fiber, which have a slower impact than on raising blood sugars. I see. I don't know what that sound is, but I appreciate you keeping your focus through it. I want to ask you a little bit about going back to this carb thing, because then in the 1970s we had Dr. Atkins come out with a diet which was low in carbohydrates, and I think carbs got a bad name. And I want to know, how did that play? A fa- how did that factor into diabetes overall care? Well, you know, you're right. You know, in the 1970s when that carb craze came to be, and or, or having no carb was really the focus with that Atkins diet, or very minimal carb, um, you know, we need carbohydrate as an energy source. It fuels our body. And so if we're having such a low carbohydrate intake, we're, we're missing major nutri- nutrients. We're missing a, a good source of energy to fuel our body. So for people with diabetes, that's not, or anybody for that matter, on the long haul um, especially, is not um, a real healthy way to uh, eat. And most people can't sustain that low-carbohydrate style of eating for any significant period of time. And uh, usually when they resume back to older eating habits, they they gain that weight back and um, it just becomes a yo-yo effect. Okay. And now I just want to end this interview by talking about what we're talking about today in food. We're in the time machine moving forward. Everything's, everyone's talking about gluten and gluten-free, and I know it does pertain a little bit to diabetes. What, what is the connection with gluten and diabetes, and, and is it something that is just healthier in general for everyone? Well, that's a great question, Max, and you're right. You hear so often these days everything is gluten-free, and somehow we associate that with being healthier. Well, actually, it's not. Um, but there is an association between diabetes and, and uh, celiac disease. Celiac, well, first of all, um, about, you know, people who have type 1 diabetes have a higher uh, risk of celiac disease because both are autoimmune diseases, and um Oftentimes, if a person does have celiac disease, they just have an intolerance to gluten, which is the protein component of wheat. In other words, they um, do not tolerate wheat, barley, rye, and and avoid foods that contain that. Other people may be more um, insensitive to wheat and still have some issues when they um, include gluten foods in their diet. 
but um so if a person really does have celiac disease it's re- it, the, the the treatment is really to avoid gluten at all at all costs because um when they eat gluten their uh small intestine doesn't absorb uh food the way it should and can cause a host of problems so uh, that's the connection is the pe- people who have type 1 diabetes have um, a higher um, incidence of celiac disease because both are autoimmune diseases. Great. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Um, again, Connie Frazier from Jocelyn Diabetes Center, you've been with us every show at the ADA Expo. i just thrilled to have you on board again. Thank you so and much. I'm looking forward to future sessions as well. All right, you Michael Bublé fans, here we go. It has to be you just had to be you Barbara Streisand right there. Were you telling your um, entourage to leave you alone? (laughs) Yes, I was. Anyway, it's good to be here with you, Max. All right, we're talking to Lorraine Starsky. She's a registered nurse for the Allegheny County Health Department. Welcome back to the show, Lorraine. Oh, thanks. Well, you know, it's about to get spicy in here because I always talk with, about sex with you live in the stage shows. We're going to focus on that tonight because okay. everyone enjoys it. Sounds um, like fun. Yeah. You know, there was a, you know, we're diabetics, so we focus on women. You were dressed up as a flapper at our ADX experience this year in November, and you're really referencing the woman suffragette from the twenties and the discovery of insulin. And, um, not only was that an important time in women's uh, the history of women, but then things really began to change for women in the 60s and 70s with the women's live and the sexual revolution. And I'm wondering how did how did all those things affect a woman's ability to manage her diabetes? Well, I think that um, there were some things that sort of were a prelude um, to the late 60s, early 70s, women's movement. Um, And and definitely the women's movement, I think, got a special oomph from these. And that is in the 50s, um, there was more um, recognition of the importance of prenatal care. And that was especially uh, significant for women with diabetes. Um, Gestational diabetes was first recognized uh, as a condition. Um, You know, there was still a big um, emphasis on women with type 1 diabetes. A lot of thinking was that they could not have babies. Um, But a lot of them did do it. Um, And then, of course, gestational diabetes was more of a phenomenon with um, women with type 2. Well, not type 2, but they could be at high risk for type 2. This wasn't really something that they understood, but they saw that some women, the demands of pregnancy, um, with the increased what we call insulin um, resistance, and so they develop gestational diabetes, which puts them later uh, at greater risk for type 2. The other thing that started in the 50s was the scientific studies to develop uh, a form of birth control in the pill form. And that basically did come about in 1960. And within a few years, millions and millions of women were on the pill. And that made a big difference in terms of women being able to control uh, when they would, when and if they would become pregnant. So those were big factors. And then the women's movement came along and... um, you know, women were going into fields that they previously hadn't been in. Um, I think it also made a difference in terms of, um, like, I remember, I was part of that um, movement, and I remember a big part of the women's movement was taking back our bodies and taking 
control of our health, our bodies ourselves was a, a landmark book where, you know, the the relationship that women had previously had with doctors, and actually this is somewhat true with men, but it was definitely true with women, was that you went to the doctor who by and large was male, and the care was more um, autocratic, paternalistic, I know best, you know, do what I tell you to do, that sort of thing. And the women's movement made it more okay we know our bodies, and we're going to look at what we need. And, you know, I think that's very important for for everyone, but particularly for women with diabetes. Well, when you jump in the time machine and you move forward to, you know, the uh, probably uh, the early 2000s, you see the movement of breast cancer and how empowering advocates to take on their health has become such a huge force, not only in that world, but it's also kind of blended and and um, come over to the diabetes community uh, with women talking more openly, like you just said, with their doctors and becoming real healthcare advocates and how they see they should take care of themselves. And I think, you know, one of the disservices we do with um, traditional diabetes education is we never do talk about uh, menstruation and menopause and with women as it relates to managing their blood sugars. And I Absolutely. know firsthand, you know, we, we meet so many women who are so burnt out and frustrated because they can't get a handle on it. And a lot of times, you know, they're so relieved to find out that, yes, their their hormones do factor into this. Right, and I and again, I think that's um, that the medical, traditional medical field has been slow to recognize and be aware of the fact that hormones play a big role in women's health and that um, not one size fits all. Um, Not everyone has, not every female has PMS, but definitely we know now that um, blood sugars can go out of whack um, right prior to a woman's um, menstrual cycle, Um, you know, and... Yes, and they can fluctuate, and and that that definitely is something that to take into account. Um, and, it, and it's not the same for all women um, because uh, everyone's got a little different uh, hormonal pattern. I'm I'm low estrogen, you're high estrogen, you know. So yes, I think it's been. Um, I think a lot of of um, attention is finally being paid to this, and I'm glad. And and the other big advancement, I want to turn the tables on you and talk about the healthcare profession in itself. Two important things have been really changing in the most in year in the recent years, and that is the role of the nurse. Number one, because I know you're a registered nurse, and I want to know how you think your occupation is changing with the times. And also, when we talk about health insurance. There's been some huge milestones happening, you know, as recent as this year when it comes to healthcare coverage and diabetes. Right. Well, um, first of all, I think that um, with health care coverage, the um, annual gynae visit now is um, free. It's not, you're not subjected to a copay. And um, birth control, whatever birth control, whether it's pill or whatever other device you use, that is free. That is not subject to a copay. Um, so that's you know that's a great thing and i remember <laughs> i remember that um when i was in the workforce and you know planning my family um a lot of insurance plans um uh, excluded uh, birth control pills from the medications and i found it very interesting i do believe that um when viagra came onto the scene, and that was covered by health insurance plans, a lot of women um, rose up and said, wait a minute, you're covering Viagra, but you're not covering my birth control prescription? So, yeah, a lot of advocacy (laughs) changed that policy. And so with the Affordable Care Act, we're finding um, mammograms um, also are not subjected to the deductible they're um, free. So I think this is beneficial for women um, to help them take control of their health. 
Great. Well, I appreciate your insight on all of this, Lorraine. Thank you so much for being a part of the Divabetic Pavilion for all eight years. It's incredible. I'm looking forward to next year already the more I talk to you. Oh, it's always been a pleasure. I know you're a big Barbara fan, and guess what? One of my favorite classics is from the 70s. Here we go, because she really does get me in the mood to dance. I got on my 70s suit. This is Mr. Divabetic, and you're listening to the Mr. Divabetic Show. Tonight, we're celebrating National Diabetes History, taking a look at one of our most successful outreach programs at Divabetic, the Diabetes Time Machine, presented at the American Diabetes Association Expo in Pittsburgh in early November of this year. My next guest is a registered nurse, a certified diabetes educator, and a new mother. Please welcome Lori Benzar to the show. Hi, Lori. Hello, Max. Welcome. How are you? Excellent. I'm so glad to be with you and all your guests tonight. Well, you know, I can't do a show without you because you really kind of helped us uh, bring this whole concept of the diabetes history to life since you're living with diabetes. Tell everyone how long you've been living with diabetes and a little bit about your experiences. Well, Max, I recently celebrated my 35th year living with diabetes. And I do say celebrate because so many wonderful changes have taken place. And hearing Terry talk about her dad's history, then her own history, I feel like I'm another part of that history of all the wonderful changes and advancements in diabetes care. And you, what's one of the biggest changes you've seen, Lori? Well, similar to Terry, I would say the insulin pump. I mean, the insulin pump changed my life. It really gave me control over my diabetes, and I felt as if, all the work I was doing finally was getting a good payoff. I could make changes in real life. I didn't have to worry about the injection that I gave. My life changed, whether my life changed because of what the day was going to bring weather-wise and that changed my activity, or if the day changed in the sense of um, more activity, less activity, or a different meal, or suddenly not feeling as well as I thought I would. I really was able to change my life at a moment's notice, which made life happen much more like my peers. Okay, and I want to um, talk a little bit about changing attitudes in these three decades you've been living with diabetes because we have a lot of college-age girls listening to our programs as well as a lot of younger women who attend Divabetic. Um When you were first diagnosed, did yeah. anyone say anything to you about pregnancy and, and becoming a mother? You know what? I was diagnosed as a very little girl, and so it wasn't something that was brought up initially. But I know that it was discussed as I got older. And there was the thought that when you become pregnant and you have diabetes, you have a lot more risks than the average woman. And so I went into, you know, my young adulthood thinking, hmm, there's going to be a greater risk for me than many other women. But I thought you always have to weigh the pros and the cons, you know, thinking, hey, the work could be worth it if I have a good support team with me to manage it all. And so, so when you you're you're married, and when you um, yes. decided you wanted to get pregnant, did you have to make? I, I think people listening always want to know: Can I have a healthy baby? So first off, did you have a healthy baby, and what were some of the things you took into consideration going into your pregnancy? Yes, I'm, you know I can say it's one of the most proud accomplishments I've ever done having my healthy baby boy. It was, you know, definitely work, and I've never worked harder to keep my blood sugars in control. I did schedule a meeting, my um, husband and I. We met, um, well, previously I had talked to my diabetes doctor and said, hey, you know, we're going to be trying to get pregnant, wanted to have my blood sugars the best they could be. And then I met with a diabetes team through my um, hospital that worked specifically with women who had diabetes. And so these were obstetricians that worked with women with diabetes. So I met with them and talked to them about how they manage a woman with diabetes during her pregnancy. So we had a full plan in place, you know, prior to even becoming pregnant. And then once I became pregnant, we knew what we were going to have to do because we knew it would involve extra monitoring, extra testing, extra visits to the doctor. And do you think you were that um, 
strong in being an advocate because you're not only living with diabetes, but you're also a certified diabetes educator and a registered nurse? Or do you think what the care you received is something that any woman listening right now could also receive? I think that, you know, fortunately, these services are available if you are able to access, you know, a specialist as I was. You know, I know that not everywhere in this country there are endocrinologists Oftentimes, people with diabetes are managed by their PCP, who may not have the expertise of those that, you know, were monitoring me during my diabetes. Yes, I live with diabetes. Yes, I'm a diabetes educator. And yes, you know, I'm a nurse. However, it's a whole new ballgame once you have pregnancy and suddenly hormones are doing things to your blood sugars that you've never seen happen before. So I definitely appreciated their support and help in how to manage things because when you're told, hey, the hormones are making your blood sugars go high, you need to double that insulin. You know, that's a little bit of a um, shock to you when you think, oh, my goodness, I don't want to go low. But, you know, I really had confidence in the team I was working with. Okay, so now I want to get dicey with you for a minute because one of the reasons why I wanted to do the whole diabetes time machine thing was specifically to talk to people about how there are so many things available to them today that a lot of people unfortunately don't take advantage of, and one of them is their glucose monitor. Earlier this month, during National Diabetes Awareness Month, on our Diabetes Late Night program, our guest who had been living with diabetes for over 40 years admitted that she never checks her blood sugars. She waits till she goes to the doctor to check, check her blood sugars. Now, I know personally from talking to you, Lori, that your experience mm-hmm. was not always having a monitor, that you started taking, uh, measure, um, checking your blood sugars in a different way. And I'm just curious um, what you, how you feel about that and how much has changed one when you're when we think about the actual mechanics of monitoring our blood sugars. Yes, these are the things that I say for someone who's lived with diabetes for years, such as I have. You don't take these things for granted. It is such a wonderful scientific advancement to have the blood glucose monitor. They're so small, use very minute amounts of blood, and test very quickly. As you said, I started by testing my urine, so it wasn't blood glucose; it was a glucose that was in my urine, which had been sitting in my bladder for some time. So we know that that was not the right here, right now glucose value that we get when we check our blood glucose with a meter. So we were basing insulin dosages on the glucose that was in the urine by testing it. And as I described to you at our DIVA event, we were using a tube, test tube and a tablet and dropping urine into the test tube and watching the tablet change colors. And based upon the color of that tablet, we knew the amount of glucose that was available, I mean, that was currently present in that urine. And not until meters became available were we able to match the insulin needs to the current glucose value. And it's gotten so much easier and it's a lot less painful today, isn't it? Oh, tremendously. I'm sure that anyone who has had diabetes for a period of time can tell you the needles are so much finer, so much shorter, and really, you don't notice it like you used to. It really um, is not a problem at all. You know, I always say to everyone, you know, if you have lived with diabetes and you can have these options available, take full advantage of it because you really need to do what you can to be as healthy as you can be. I'm sorry, but I, I had to. I had to give you that applause. It's important to me for our listeners to know that someone really who is living with diabetes is managing their care, is proactive, and uses the numbers really as a way to blueprint what's going on in your life. And you use those numbers to really help you have a successful pregnancy as a, and a happy baby. So for those of you listening, I want to say clearly to everybody, we uh, do recommend that you um, – Use your blood glucose monitor and uh, use it on a regular basis to help you navigate your way through the highs and lows of living with diabetes. Thank you so much for being a part of the show, Lori. Can't do it without you. It's always tremendous to have you involved. Hey, you're the best, Max, and it's great to work with you and the team. Thank you. Great.
Mr. Diabetic Show, and we're in the diabetes time machine, and we are going into the future because right now you're going to meet my next guest. She's the director of sales at MD Capsule. Please welcome Jamie Strangio. Hi, Jamie. Hello, Max. How are you, sir? Good. Thank you for joining us tonight. My pleasure. All right, so you've been listening all night long. We've been kind of going through the history of diabetes and talking a little bit about where it was, and now I want to kind of move forward, thanks to you, and talk about one of the innovations out there right now that people could take advantage of to make their care easier. Tell us a little bit about MD Capsule. All right, so MD Capsule, really in layman's terms, is a place where diabetics and all patients, frankly, can uh, be assured that their health care and their care from all providers within all networks, um, all types of doctors can all see their health information so that nothing falls through the cracks and uh, bad things don't happen uh, sort of at a high level. So imagine a place where... Um, all your doctors, your care teams, uh, especially for diabetics, where there may be kidney doctors, endocrinologists, nutritionists, um, uh, you know, PCPs, where, you know, every particular provider or doctor is concerned with their own, their own um, organ, if you will. So, and it's just not going to be good for the patient. So, patients have to realize in a very fragmented healthcare system, which is really going to become more fragmented, you need to really advocate for yourselves and be in control and understand what's going on and really be the one managing your health. And okay, MD so capsule- how hard is it, Jamie? Because I know a lot of people are thinking, oh, my goodness, organizing all my doctors and everything. How, did, how hard is it to do that with an MD capsule? Great question. So, frankly, if you went to mdcapsule.com, put in your name and email address, and added all your doctors' mm-hmm. names, what would happen is, and the goal is, and we need folks, we need patients to advocate for themselves, to come to the site, to support this, to make this happen and be a reality, because, frankly, MD Capsule is really concerned with the patient. You know, they're patient-centric. They're not EHR-centric. What network are you in? You know, it's all about getting all your doctors um, to uh, have access to MD Capsule so that everything's in one place and folks don't have to keep repeating themselves, sending information to five different doctors, making sure nothing falls through the cracks because, believe it or not, when things fall through cracks, people die. And, uh, you know, we need to really sort of coordinate this as it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a village to care for a diabetic. And that means all your providers in one place, regardless of what hospital network they're in. And MD Capsule is one of the only places, really, that allows people to be the center and the purpose of a technology. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a frightening world out there, and we really need to care for ourselves and advocate for ourselves. And that means we manage the doctors, but we ensure they see all the information, regardless of what organ they're concerned about. Does that well, make sense? Well, you're not only just um, selling it or promoting it, you also use it because you yourself are living with diabetes. So tell a little bit about that experience and how you use MD Capsule today to help you manage your care. Okay, so I've been diabetic, you know, for about 30 years. Um, What I do is my doctors are in my capsule, okay, that's my endocrinologist. Actually, my endocrinologist, my foot doctor, um, thank God I don't have a kidney doctor at this point, um, nutritionist, um, my PCP, um, they're all in there. And what happens is I put my, I have a way of putting my machine and importing my, my, uh, my sugars from my machine, and simply my doctors go in and they see it, all the doctors, okay? My nutritionist, my endocrinologist, my PCP, they all see it. So they all understand what's going on with me and don't have to ask me. 
So you mean so if there's a change knowing in your that medication, they're all in the same if there's a What's change that? in your medication, Jamie, everyone sees it. Is that what you're saying? Got it. You got it. Yep. They can go in and see also conversations and things going on. So they're up to date in regards to my medical care. Okay. No, it it, it avoids unnecessary mistakes. Okay. Okay, so tell everyone again how they could find out more about MD Capsule. Okay, so go to mdcapsule.com. Everybody enter in their email address. Put in all the doctors, your care teams. Um, everybody, whether you are a care a caretaker, can manage for a patient for an elderly diabetic. Um, so many ways, but it'll it's an easy way for you to uh, manage uh, to have. Uh, doctors manage all aspects of your health. So go to MD Capsule, put in your email address, please put in all your doctors and your care team, and someone will be in touch with you as we need the support to ensure that you folks have this place to ensure your uh, your health uh, is cared for properly and advocated and managed by you or your care team. I love it. You know, this month we've also been talking at Divabetic about organization. We had both Susan Weiner and Leslie Josell, the the co-authors of um, the Complete Diabetes Organizer, join us for our annual event in Philadelphia. And everyone at that program, listeners, agreed that having organization when it comes to your diabetes is a wonderful tool in helping you stay happy and healthy. And this seems like an ideal resource. I know we're going to put it up on our blog. I'll be featuring it so people could find out more about it. Jamie, thank you so much for being a part of the show and helping us highlight one of the innovations on the horizon. That's not on the horizon. It's actually here today. Again, it's mdcapsule.com. Correct. You got it. Yes, sir. All right. Yep. Well, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you for having me. Well, some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood, hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. But I'm taking a greyhound on the Hudson River line. I'm in a New York state of mind. And so is my next guest. She's a native New Yorker. And so am I. Please welcome to the show Mama Rosemarie. Hello, Mama Rosemarie. Hello, Mr. Diva Bettis. I heard you're going to be in the Big Apple next week. Yes, I am. I can't wait. I'm excited. I hope you don't have snow, though. I don't have any boots anymore. <laughs> I don't know. Let's south. see if I can get through the th- my annual visit to the Macy's Day, a Thanksgiving Day parade first. That video will be up on divabag.org <laughs> on Thursday, Thanksgiving Day. Mama Rosemary, you were part of the Diabetes Time Machine. I know your mom was living with the diabetes in the 1950s, 60s, and 70s. Mm-hmm. What was one of the innovations that caught your eye at the expo this year? Oh, I, I was so impressed by all the different um, 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 machinery that was around, like the sewing machine and the jukebox and all that. And it just got people really interested in what we saw in the past and how far we have come in the uh, at this time. And as far as everybody talking about these different innovations in diabetes, yes, I do remember the things that my mother went through and um, how things have changed. So it was very nice being there. Thank you for having me there. I always enjoy Pittsburgh. Well, it was great having you join us. So share your mother or diabetes tip for November. We've got another one you're going to give out tonight because we're getting ready for the holidays, and I know you were thinking about that. Well, my tip for tonight is to take stress seriously. If you are stressed, it is easy to neglect your usual diabetes self-care routine. The hormones in your body may um, may produce in response to prolonged stress may prevent insulin from working properly, which only makes matters worse. To take control, set limits for the holiday season. 
prioritize your tasks, learn relaxation techniques, and get plenty of sleep. Above all, stay positive. Don't let diabetes stand in the way of an active, healthy holiday season. Happy holidays to all, and ciao for now. Well, thank you, Mama Rosemary, and I want to thank all my guests for being a part of the Mr. Divabetic Show tonight and celebrating our wonderful stage show, The Diabetes Time Machine at the American Diabetes Association Pittsburgh uh, this year in November, on November 8th, and uh, it was such a pleasure to work with everyone. Hey, listeners, remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's get happy and stay healthy together. I'm going to end the show with my favorite Barbara Streisand one more time and remind you that don't let diabetes rain on your parade. Tune into all our free podcasts as well as videos at divabetic.org. Don't bring around a cloud to rain on my Someone takes a spill, it's me and not you Who told you you're allowed to rain on my parade I'll march my band out I'll beat my drum And if I'm found out Your turn at bat, sir At least I didn't fake it, hat, sir I guess I didn't make it But whether I'm the rose of sheer perfection Or black